have an established psychotherapy practice, most days probably go pretty smoothly. But then out of nowhere, wham. In this episode, we're going to talk about the unanticipated stresses that can occur in a psychotherapy practice. Hi, I'm Dr. Bill Whitehead. Denise Hoyt and I co-wrote the Psychotherapist Success Guide. In this episode, we'll talk about those unanticipated stressors. Let's begin. And so, Denise, if our viewers have been following the instructions in the prior videos properly, they should be in kind of a nirvana where no unexpected things ever happen in their practice. And it's just sort of rainbows and unicorns, right? Wrong, Bill. We're therapists, remember? We kind of know that there are a lot of pitfalls that come in life along the way, and that definitely happens in private practice. So one of the ones that I can think of that I certainly hadn't anticipated is here I am in the middle of a birthday party. My family's all around. I've been waiting for this forever, and the phone rings, and it's a client in a crisis. So what do I do? Well, you have an obligation to make sure that that client is taken care of and safe. And it's not an easy thing to get called away from your own birthday party or worse, your spouse's birthday party. Right. <laughs> so um, that is a pitfall that we do have in solo practices that we don't typically have anyone to be, quote, on call for us in those situations. Right. And the buck stops here. And it's sort of what I signed up for when I became a therapist. Absolutely. It kind of, in some ways, nice to know that I'm valued so much. Absolutely. So, but there are other occasions when maybe they don't have your cell phone number. Maybe you're hiking in Yosemite where there are no cell towers. Uh, what do you do in a situation like that when a client has an emergency? Typically, I always make sure to do two things, Bill. One is in my informed consent, I let the patient know how emergencies are handled. And two, in my... Um, my telephone answering system, I have it set up that if this is an emergency, that please go to your nearest emergency room or call 911. And I think it's important for clients to know what to do in those cases, so informing them both ways is usually recommended. It's, it's just the right thing to do as well as being a, an ethical responsibility of Absolutely. yours. Absolutely. You know, sometimes it's worse than that, though. Sometimes you may think that you've done everything possible with a client and learn that they have committed suicide. That's a tough one. That's a tough one, Bill. And I haven't personally been through that situation, but I know therapists who have, and perhaps you have. Well, and unfortunately, I know that you know therapists in that situation because it has happened to me. And it was one of the most devastating experiences of my life, frankly. You know, this was a client that I, I had no idea. There were no signs coming up that this was going to happen. Everything had been fine that day. It was a chance encounter. I won't go into too many details. But I will tell you that it absolutely rocked my world for days. Uh, that... Um, I, I was in terrible shape as a result of that. And, and the if onlys, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that, uh, the sense of guilt, uh, the questioning of my whole professional involvement, my entire career choice, 
all float in front of me in those next I, few days. I hope you got some help with that by talking to a colleague. So, you know, it would have been a great time to go back in therapy, frankly, but I ended up talking to a colleague in, in, in some depth about it and over a long course of time uh, because I was devastated. I was sort of useless as a therapist, frankly, for the next few days yeah. because it, it, it just replayed in me over and over again. Absolutely. But what I would certainly recommend uh, as a result of that is experiences is two things. One of them is... You know, you might be getting some phone calls from relatives who will uh, be very interested in finding someone to blame other than themselves for this suicide. And this is a time that unfortunately, as vulnerable as you are and as eager as you are to talk about this, it's not a good time to talk about this with them uh, because you could be betraying some information confessing some things that will later come back to haunt you professionally. So um, you just have to be very cautious in that situation. And the other thing is that, yeah, great time for therapy, certainly a good time to talk about colleagues, and perhaps a good time to question about whether you should be taking a few days off from your practice. Absolutely. So always having to take care of your clients first in that situation and knowing that you're not in a place to take care of them. Right. And that I'm not the best resource for them at that moment. Right. Well, Bill, I wonder, I mean, that's that's a pretty heavy circumstance we just talked about. And you bet. Um, as you mentioned, we're going to go, most likely going to have that happen to us at some point in our career. Uh, but what if we lighten this up a little bit? And let's just talk about money. That's not nearly as deep, but it is important. <laughs> it is important, especially if you're going to stay in practice for a while. And, you know, We'd like to think that all of our patients are going to pay on time and be prompt and, and be responsible with their bills, but there are what they call slow-pay clients. There are, and typically what happens in these cases is that um, maybe I as a therapist was just remiss in asking for that money. Um, maybe it's just the fact that the client made a couple of payments on there on that and we've just gotten behind or insurance just didn't come back the way we expected it to. There's a rule of thumb that we often talk about with our customers at therapy appointment that the way you know how much the insurance company will pay is when you get the number on the check. Until then, it's a toss up. It is a toss up. We just don't you you might have done some research on their plan but Let's, let's face it, insurance company websites can make mistakes. So is there a way to avoid that slow pace situation? I mean, you certainly don't want your client to be in a position of now you're a new stress in their life, a new bill, a new unpaid bill. We have an ethical obligation to our clients to let them know where their account stands. And in some situations, such as uh, using therapy appointment, the client actually has a look at their account in their patient portal. So they always know where that balance stands. But I also want to check and make sure before I see a client, is there any money outstanding here? And if there is, I need to have that conversation with the client. If I wait for nine months to do that and the client didn't realize for nine months they needed all, they owed all that money, that's on me. Absolutely. There's a new source of stress in their life as they are thousands of dollars in debt that they didn't recognize. And this was the therapist that was supposed to help them with stress. Absolutely. 
But there is a solution in that, and that is a therapeutic conversation needs to be had. And you, as a therapist, might decide that you are going to give your services to some clients as a pro bono. Yes. That's or a reduced fee. It's an option, and if you are already perhaps seeing too many pro bono clients, it's beginning to damage your well-being, then a, a referral to a community agency might be in order, especially if it's a chronically mentally ill person that you realize at some point they're going to run out of resources. And again, I don't want to be a new source of stress in their life. So the slow-paying client may have stumbled upon this by accident and completely innocently. But you know, there are other clients who just plain con you. Yeah, I bet we've both had a few of those in our career. Uh, I remember a couple in particular where, uh, you know, they putatively were coming for help and uh, just for some reason forgot to mention that at some point I'd be subpoenaed to court to be a character witness. And then learning in court you know, it's it's not that I didn't get the whole picture. I didn't get any of the picture. I mean, this was an entirely per, uh, different person. It seems like at some point they would have mentioned the charges against them. Well, absolutely. What an uncomfortable position to be in. I've been in a situation where I've had a, a new client come into therapy and, you know, tell me that they were referred by another client and gave me their name. And of course, we can't reveal that we've had any therapy with anybody. So your answer is, well, I always appreciate referrals. Of course, I can't confirm or deny that anyone's been in this office. And But they spent the rest of the session probing me for information about that client. And that was really uncomfortable. And I had to just basically go, is, are you here for therapy or are you here for another reason? Mm. Needless to say, they didn't come back. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you really dodged a bullet on that one because you kept to the ethical guidelines and congratulations for that. Absolutely. That's terrific. You know, sometimes we have another awkward situation where a client will flirt with us and all of a sudden we're aware that there's something going on in this relationship that isn't quite therapy. Have you well, had that experience? Well, maybe in my younger days, Bill. <laughs> Um, not, so, not so much anymore. Certainly hasn't happened to me in a long time. But back in the day, I did have uh, some encounters that ranged from just innocent flirtation to, in one case, an outright proposition right in the middle of a session. So these are very delicate situations to happen because, as our listeners may or may not know, many of the clients that present this way probably have some sexual abuse in their background. Yes. And this is really a very important interaction that we're going to have with them at this point. Absolutely. This is a crossroads in therapy. How we manage this particular situation can make or break the therapy and perhaps uh, make or break that client's future life. So you do have to manage it incredibly carefully. Absolutely. Do you have a particular instance you could share? Well, in that particular situation that I talked about earlier with the outright proposition, uh, there was first a long pause and then a carefully crafted sentence, which was something like, you know, you're an attractive woman and I'm complimented by the fact that you find me attractive, 
but that's not the nature of our relationship. I'm genuinely trying to be helpful to you. And if we do that, then that helpful relationship will end. And, and I want to continue to be of help to you. And let's start off by asking, what was your fantasy of what this relationship would be like? Maybe it'll tell us something about something that's missing in your life. Well, that was some very fast thinking on your part. It was fast thinking, and I, I'm frankly still kind of proud that I managed to do it on such short notice. Well, you should be proud. Because it certainly caught me by surprise. Absolutely. Then there's another situation, Bill, and that's about the fact that there could be a client that as a therapist, you become attracted to. And it sounds like you've had that experience. I have had that experience. And although I knew it was never something I would act on, um, and but I needed to manage that because I found myself thinking about that person in times outside the therapy room. Right, right. And, which is one of the cardinal signs. Absolutely. And another one is scheduling that client for the last session of the day or... Uh, again, yeah. lingering at the end of the session instead of uh, ending quickly. These Absolutely. are all signs to yourself that this is something I need to worry about. Absolutely. And so the, the, the first thing I did was make sure I talked to a colleague and said this out loud because it's not something that I had any intention of, of changing that relationship in any way. And by the way, ethically, that would not be, that's not an okay thing to <laughs> not do. Not an okay thing to do. Um, but... Talking out loud to a colleague about it and just speaking it seems to make a big change. And also just a reminder of some of the things that you don't particularly like about that person as well. Yeah. <laughs> that, that tends to help. Those are usually our awesome. That helped a lot. Yeah. And again, you know, what you find out about yourself from that experience could range from, gee, I guess I have some unmet needs in my life that I need to to think about or work with my own therapist about. Right. Two at the other extreme, just, wow, this this is just a really attractive person. And anyone would be attracted to them and thinking about them between sessions. Absolutely. And that's the end of it. Absolutely. Yet another uncomfortable situation is if you are working with a client, maybe you think you're doing good work. But perhaps you give them an answer that's not what they wanted to hear. They can go online and smear you. They can throw shade from one end of the country to the other online in a way that they never used to be able to do. Absolutely. It was, this is one of those things I think was a little better in the old days where maybe they would disparage your character to other people in person, but now they can just plaster it anywhere they want to online when someone's searching for you. And Bill, honestly, most of I I prefer to think that most of these the people who cho choose to do this um, likely are dealing with some personality disorder issues of themselves. So always take that into consideration. But the public doesn't know that, do they? Right. And we're in a real pickle because we can't even confirm that we've ever seen this person. I mean, far less than saying, no, it wasn't that way at all online to try to, to fight back. We can't even say that we know that person. So we just had a, it's a time to kind of hunker down and try to get as many arrows as possible to pass over your head. Absolutely. And I understand that it is possible to hire um there are some services out there that will kind of help clean that up. I haven't honestly researched 
how much that costs or if it's even worth it. Yeah, I suspect in our situation, not worth it. I just hope it doesn't happen <laughs> to our viewers Yeah, is what we can hope for. You know, have you ever gotten a subpoena to court? Unfortunately, I have. And it's mm. a very uncomfortable situation, yeah. not something I avoided it for many years and <laughs> thought knocking on wood would help. <laughs> we continue to avoid that, but no. No, no. eventually it happened. Yeah, and Bill, I think it is something that causes a lot of anxiety in therapists because number one, the vast majority of us probably have not been in a court situation before in our lives. No. Number two, all the words they use on that piece of paper that tells us we have to be in court called a subpoena, a lot of them are in Latin and it's difficult for us to understand. <laughs> so suddenly we're playing on an unfamiliar court. Yes. Uh, pun intended. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, something that I wasn't aware of, and I'm certainly glad that I found out about in time, was that there's two kinds of subpoenas. There are, and it's impo very important to know this because one of them you can kind of ignore, not really ignore, but if it comes from a lawyer, if when you look on it, it's the opposing lawyer's signature or maybe the lawyer of your client's signature on that, what you have to have is a release of information from your client or anybody, in my case, anybody in that therapy room. Right, and the key is, was it signed by the lawyer? If it's signed by the lawyer, really what it is is a fancy Latin way of saying, you know, I'd like these records. Right. But HIPAA still applies, and our professional ethics still apply, and without a release of information from that client, we can't uh, do it. So the proper response is to say, I can't confirm or deny that I know anyone by that name, but if you were to give me a release of information, I'd look in my records. Absolutely. There's another type of subpoena, and this subpoena comes directly from the court or the judge themselves. That's, this one, you have to show up. That's a horse of a different color. A horse of a different color. You have to show up. Right. And even if you don't have a signed release by those clients, you have to show up in this case. Which is an important distinction. You have to show up unless, again, you want to find out what jail food tastes like. But you don't have to talk unless you were ordered to talk. And that's not a bad way to proceed. No, it's not a bad way to proceed. And in that particular situation, I would most likely have my own lawyer along with me. And uh, most malpractice insurance policies have coverage for that because although this is not malpractice, they usually have a lawyer on, on call that you can talk through the case and talk about what you need to do so that you don't just have to try to guess your way through it. It's a time that you'll really appreciate your malpractice carrier. Absolutely. And they'll give you some support. Yeah, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and what my ethical boundaries are is that in a records request that anybody who is in the room has to sign a release or nothing can be released. So that becomes a, a little bit of a horse of a different color in this situation. Right, one where your own lawyer would right. give you a lot of advice right. about how to proceed. So uh, a client gave me response, but the other people in the room didn't give permission. At that point, I don't have permission. Right, tough situation. I'm glad it you managed is. it well. You know, something else I never expected to happen. I don't know why I never expected it to happen, but encountering clients in the community, just on the street or in a store, and that could be kind of awkward or shocking. 
It can. And Bill, I live in a smaller community, so unfortunately it tends to happen on a somewhat regular basis because smaller communities, you just have, well, you know, you might see them at church, you might see them at other places. So right. it's a difficult situation. And I even had one client get upset with uh -huh. me that I didn't go say hello. Now, can you tell me why I didn't go say hello to them? Well, you can't betray in public that you have a relationship with this person. Correct. That you have a therapy uh, relationship. But that was really on me because it was a client that I had failed to talk about that particular situation with them. They were an adolescent. I didn't really think I would have a situation I would be around and I just failed to mention it. And I felt very hurt that I did not acknowledge their presence. So what do you usually tell them to prevent that or to forewarn them of that? Yeah. Well, number one, I usually put it in my informed consent form that this is purely a professional relationship and I have give you the courtesy of complete privacy. So if I were to meet you in public, what I will do is I will not approach you, but you are welcome to approach me if you would like to. That's on you. Right. And, uh, and, and some do, and some don't. You know, I had an experience that I still remember, kind of funny in retrospect, it wasn't at the time. So I'm playing racquetball and there's what they call a challenge court where you just play the winner of the last game. You're just in a line. So the winner of the last game comes out. It's a female client of mine. And, you know, my first impulse was, well, I'll just not play against you. I, you know, the next person in line. But then I thought, well, then that's telling the next person in line there's something weird. I, I thought, you know, the lesser of two evils, I'll just go in and play racquetball with her. Mm -hmm. Well, so we played this game. And in the middle of the game, I'm running back to get a ceiling shot, run into her, and we both fall flat on the ground. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it was a genuine boundary violation. <laughs> well, did that have a, how was the outcome of that? Did you have a laugh? Did you both have a laugh about we, it, hopefully? We both, neither one of us was hurt, which was fortunate. But uh, yes, we did kind of laugh about it and, of course, talked about it in the next session and what it is to... Yeah, what was her experience like to, to see me in the community and vice versa? So kind of making it a part of therapy in that way. Good. You know, yet another problem that can show up that many therapists don't expect is burnout. Yes, especially in private practice because we have a lot of uh, plates in the air, so to speak, at one time. It's such a complicated topic that I think it deserves a little more time. So let's do our next video on that one. Absolutely. This podcast was brought to you by Therapy Appointment, a practice management system designed especially for psychotherapists. Therapy Appointment provides online scheduling, billing, insurance, charting, appointment reminders, teletherapy, HIPAA-compliant communication, and much more. Therapy appointment. You provide the therapy, we provide the rest. More info at www.therapyappointment.com. If you have a suggestion for a future episode of this podcast, please email me at bill at therapyappointment.com. Thanks for listening. See you again next week.